Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. We're doing something really exciting and new today on Kids Considered. Mm -hmm. So instead of Dr. Dean and I taking the reins and talking you through a subject. Or even just interviewing a guest. (laughs) We're going to have two of our favorite pediatricians, Dr. Jason and Dr. Helene, talk today about firearm safety. And we're going to stay out of the conversation and let them explore this themselves, right? Right. So here they are, Dr. Jason and Dr. Halim. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jason. And I'm Dr. Halim. And we are pediatric residents at UC Davis Children's Hospital. We are so excited to be guests today on one of our favorite podcasts, Kids Considered. First, we want to say a big thank you to Lena and Dean for lending us this platform for the day. Yes. Thank you so much. It is our privilege to be members of the American Academy of Pediatrics, whose 2020 training advocacy campaign is shining light on a very important health topic for kids, firearm safety. But before we get started, let's hear from a parent calling in with a question. Hi, thank you for taking my call. My name is Greg. I have two children at home. One of them is five, one of them is seven. I'm looking into acquiring a firearm for home defense, and I'd love any suggestions you have about gun safety and how to store the weapon at my house and to keep it out of my children's hands. I appreciate the help. I'll take the answer off the air. What a great question. I love hearing from parents who are interested in making steps to keep their kids safe. I agree. As a pediatrician, I tried to ask about firearms with all of my patients and families. But when I started my training, I didn't quite know what to say when parents said there were firearms at home or had questions about safe devices. Our hope is to cover some of the common questions, um, such as, How do I keep children away from or safe in the presence of firearms? What are safety devices or safe storage? What kind of research is being done in the field of firearm safety? And what, if any, are the effects of gun violence in the media on kids? Those are all awesome questions. You know, Jason, I have to admit something. Talking about gun safety is something that, as a pediatrician, I can sometimes feel a little uncomfortable with. I personally know many people, family and friends, who own guns for a variety of reasons, And I don't want any responsible gun owners to feel that a discussion about gun safety is in any way intended to be punitive or couched in personal bias. And I know sometimes this can be difficult to avoid. However, as a professional and as a pediatrician, my primary goal and your primary goal is to maintain the health and safety of the kids in our communities. And so I think it's important that before we even start this conversation, we all try to collectively check our biases at the door And start from the common ground that I know we all share, which is that no matter what your views are on gun ownership, we can all agree that keeping our kids safe is a priority. You bring up an excellent point. And I agree. If we're going to talk about kids and gun safety, it's important that on all sides of the conversation, we begin by recognizing our own implicit biases. That being said, I think a lot of people might be surprised at how serious firearm safety is for kids. Recent data unfortunately shows that every day, 78 children and teens are injured or killed by firearms in the U.S. 78 every day. On average, that's one death or injury every 19 minutes. That is just so tragic, especially when you consider that most, if not all, of those injuries or deaths could be prevented. That's why it's really important for us to talk about what we can do to help kids 
be safer when it comes to firearms, and why the American Academy of Pediatrics continues to advise that the safest home for children and teens is one without guns. And I mean, when you look at those numbers, it makes a lot of sense. We know that a home without firearms can not only help prevent unintentional firearm injury, but we also know that it can directly reduce childhood and teen deaths by suicide. Data actually shows that the risk of dying by suicide is four to ten times higher in homes with firearms. Yikes. That's a lot higher. That means if a child or teen is identified as having a high suicide risk, one of the safest things parents can do is remove all firearms and ammunition from their home. You know, Helene, I also have a lot of friends and family who own firearms. In fact, I've read as many as one-third of families and children have guns for a variety of reasons. What can they do to keep their children safe? That is such a great question, and it comes up really frequently. So for our families who own guns, we like to touch on two areas of safety, safe usage and safe storage. As a reminder, safe practice in using your firearms should include unloading ammunition when setting it down or after usage. This is because children as young as three years old might be strong enough to pull the trigger on a handgun. Wow, I would not have expected that. But as we're learning, it seems like we could never be too safe when it comes to children and firearms. Exactly. It's really important to know how to safely store them. As pediatricians, you recommend a lockbox, cable lock, or firearm safe. A firearm is most safely stored locked, unloaded, and with the ammunition stored separately. I've heard about fingerprint recognition locks. There must be a lot of options out there. How does one know which kind of lock or firearm safe to get? Another great question. There are so many options out there at various costs. Most people will decide on a suitable locking or storage mechanism based on the type of firearm they own, such as handguns versus rifles, and the number of firearms that they own. I also want to recognize that cost can be a barrier to obtaining these protective locks and safes, um, and the landscape can be a little bit tricky to navigate. A brief search for gun lock on the internet yields a wide variety of results, ranging from as low as $5 for a simple cable lock, but it's difficult to tell which of these, if any, meet safety standards. To make things even more complicated, there are no current federal standards for locking devices. However, a few states do provide a list of approved devices that meet their safety criteria. For example, the California Department of Justice maintains an online roster that you can search for certified devices that are allowed for sale in the state. That's good to know. I've also heard on news of many cities and towns working with their local police department or other organizations to try to distribute cable locks for free. If you have any questions about firearm safety, it might be good to start with talking with your local police department. That's a really great idea. So, so far, we've talked about firearm owners keeping their children safe by removing firearms from the home or by following important safety standards. But what about teaching children to stay away from guns if and when they find one? I remember being told in elementary school that if we saw anything dangerous, not to touch it and to tell an adult. It's a really excellent point and a great transition to talking about the ASK campaign, or ASK campaign, which is a campaign promoted by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Oh, right. The ASK campaign. I've heard of this before. What does it stand for again? ASK, or ASK, stands for Asking Saves Kids. It is a campaign centered on encouraging caregivers to ask if there's a gun or where the child plays. If a gun is present, to ask if the gun is locked, unloaded, and if it's the ammunition stored separately. Just talking to your child about the dangers of firearms is not often enough. Children are naturally curious, and if a gun is accessible in a friend's home, we run the risk of the child will find it and will play with it. Unfortunately, countless preventable tragedies have occurred when children find those guns and parents thought they were well hidden or safely stored. 
That sounds like a very important topic for all caregivers, but I'm worried it might also be a difficult or maybe intimidating conversation to have with a friend or a neighbor. Do you have any tips on how caregivers can ask these questions with a little bit more confidence? Yeah, well, consider it this way. Just as you ask about pets, allergies, supervision, and other safety issues, just ask, is there an unlocked gun in your house? Another good way to ask this might be, knowing how curious my child can be, I hope you don't mind me asking if there's a firearm in your house and if it's properly stored. I think trying to normalize it is really important for parents. For more information, parents and families can check out our website for this episode and other resources. That's awesome. It's so important for parents and caregivers to have the tools that they need to help keep their kids safe, including the knowledge and confidence to ask well-informed questions. Speaking of knowledge, I think it's important that we touch on current research efforts underway in the world of firearm safety. Can you touch on those a little bit? Absolutely. Congress actually recently passed the 2020 federal budget with $25 million dedicated to firearm violence prevention research. This is the first time in over 20 years the federal government has specifically funded research on firearm violence and pediatricians across the country applaud this. We at UC Davis are proud to house the Violence Prevention Research Program under the leadership of Dr. Garen Wintermute. He's a physician that has built his career trying to minimize the harm of firearm violence, and we are committed to continuing this effort. Actually, we will have the first in the nation gun violence prevention training program for health professionals. That is so cool and such an incredible opportunity to make headway on a safety issue that really affects all of us. Just so our listeners know, we'll add a few helpful links about the program on our website. Awesome. There's one last question that comes up often in my clinics that I want to address today, and that is virtual violence in the media, such as shooting, killing, or gore in movies, video games, and even social media. For example, in my clinic, I often get questions from parents like, Is it appropriate for my 10-year-old to be playing shooting games? Media violence is so common and something that comes up in visits often for me, too. A good place to start for these media violence issues are violence ratings on movies and games. A G-rated movie has G for general audience, meaning it's appropriate for all ages. Similarly, in video games, E is for everyone, which is essentially equivalent to a G-rated movie. The ratings then become more exclusive from there. It's important to also recognize that some media doesn't have any violence rating system, like apps, including Instagram or YouTube. Right. Actually, social media has made it really difficult for parents to know what their kids are viewing. Many researchers in pediatric psychology believe that the existing data shows there is a link between virtual violence and aggressive behavior. This is why pediatricians really should talk not just about the quantity of media consumption, but really the quality during their child's wellness exam. I like to recommend that parents should watch TV and play games together with their children. That way parents know what the content is and also make it a bonding experience. And if parents are too busy to watch TV, I like to encourage them to also give books to their kids. Um, This can be a set quiet reading time at home or they can get their kids to play outside. That's a great way to incorporate literacy education in our wellness exams. Another piece of advice I'd like to give to parents is that younger children really should not be viewing virtual violence at all because they really can't distinguish fantasy or reality. Studies have shown for kids under six years, even cartoon violence can be very real and have detrimental effects. For older children, first-person shooters, in which killing is the central theme, is really not appropriate for any child. That's really good to know, and something that I feel like is a little bit intuitive. Um, But now I have a better idea of knowing how to talk about safety at my wellness exams, including firearm safety and violence in media consumption. I'm really glad we had a chance to talk about all this today. 
we really covered a lot of ground, from safe firearm storage practices to how to ask the right questions, to current research and how guns should be portrayed in the media. I think it's safe to say that we touched on a lot of different opportunities to help kids stay safe and healthy. I agree. Again, I want to thank Lena and Dean for having us on this episode of Kids Considered and the American Academy of Pediatrics for launching this 2020 advocacy campaign. And a big thank you to our listeners for asking great questions and staying engaged in the lives of the kids in their communities. Have a great day, Jason. You too, Helene. Wow, that was a lot of information, and I learned a ton. Yeah, we really them. learned a lot, and really those statistics are astounding, aren't they? They are so astounding. I think that this is something, just like they mentioned, there can be a lot of anger around this issue, or um, people can get really heated, and I think mm-hmm. that they did a really nice job talking about how everyone's priority should just be keeping kids safe. It's all about safety for the kids. And that's all we're talking about today is we we don't want kids affected by firearm violence. Exactly. So let's summarize some of the biggest points that they talked about today. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I found fascinating is that every day, 78 children and teenagers are injured or killed by firearms in the U.S. alone. That's really amazing. It's a staggering number. And there are some really great ways that they mentioned that we can work to keep kids safe. Mm -hmm. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, as they mentioned, says that the safest home is a home without a gun. Right. But if you choose to have a firearm in your house, you should always lock the gun and the ammunition separately. Mm -hmm. Never have a loaded gun in the house because they said that even a three-year-old can pull the trigger. Can pull the trigger strong enough, Yeah. The other thing that they talked about was making sure that you have a lockbox or a safe and that you store your firearm in those and make sure that your child does not know the combination or Or a cable lock or where it's stored. Exactly. Mm -hmm. On our website, we've got posted some really good resources to make sure that you've got an approved cable lock and or, or gun safe storage box. And then they mentioned the ask campaign. This was really interesting and something that I haven't thought about talking to my parents about. Mm-hmm. Which is that anytime your kid's going to play somewhere, just like you may ask if they have, you know, like a if they have pool peanut allergies or, or a something. peanut allergy, yeah. uh-huh. you can ask them, do you have a firearm in your home? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this could prevent tragedy later on. Right. And I know parents, I know some pediatricians are, are reluctant to talk about this with um, parents. And I know some parents are reluctant to, but really, it's not a judgment thing. It's a safety issue. And so that's all we're asking. We're meant no judgment whatsoever. And lastly, they touched on the very important point, which is that we need money to study this. Right. We need um, data. We need data, right? Mm-hmm. So firearm injury prevention is really essential to know how we can avoid this, how, you know, what the real problems are. So we need funding to study this. And we think it's great that Congress recently passed funding and $25 million to study firearm violence prevention. Right. And this really is an issue for the U.S. And so I know that a lot of states have done some um, funding, but that's really small amount of funding. So this really is a federal issue and feel that it is appropriate for it to be studied at a federal level. Definitely. So we are all in on learning more about this. And we are so thankful to Dr. Jason and Dr. Helene for walking us through this today. Right. And we're also thankful to Dr. Um, Amy Barnhorse. She's the director of the Bullet Points Project at the University of California Firearm Violence Research Center at um, University of California, Davis. And she reviewed this episode, although Dr. Lena and I and Dr. Jason and Dr. Helene take responsibility for any errors or omissions. So I'm curious, 
Do you have a firearm? I personally do not have one, but I was surprised. You've met my wife, Dr. Mary Bath. Yes. She has one? She's like pretty gentle and... Yeah, it's a very gentle. Some of you may remember her from a wonderful episode. She oh, did the with picky, us on yeah, picky she was on the picky eating. So she used to practice in um, a rural part of Florida and it was a cash business in the practice. And so people would like pay their bills when they saw her. And at the end of every day, she would take the cash to the bank and deposit it. Uh-huh. And so a policeman friend of hers said, you know, everybody in this small town knows at the end of the day, you're carrying large amounts of cash. You need to protect yourself. Wow. And so he said, you need to get a gun and you need to learn how to fire it. So he went with her to, because she didn't know about guns, and went with her to buy a gun. They went to the shooting range and he taught her how to fire a gun. She said she's pretty good at it. I don't, I've never seen, (laughs) I don't know. And so that really wow. surprised me. So did she get rid of it when she no longer needed it for that specific? She did not get oh. rid of it. Yeah. But it sounds like she went through all of the right stages of, it sounds like, I'm guessing it's locked at home without ammunition. We don't have any ammunition in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Very safe. And then, you know, when there are kids around, I'm sure, I'm sure nobody even knows, like, She's probably going to be like, why did you tell everyone that we have one of those? Uh But I was raised in a totally different way. Both of my parents were, you know, they're hippies. They're like pacifists. Mm -hmm. And so we couldn't even play with G.I. Joes until they (laughs) cut the guns out of them. We couldn't Uh even play with water guns. We couldn't watch Ninja Turtles. Uh It was very um, much not a part of my upbringing at all. Mm -hmm. And so now the idea of owning a firearm just seems really foreign to me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I have, you know, I have lots of friends that, like, duck hunting is a really big part of their family. There's a lot of duck hunting around here where we live. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I have gone and, you know, shot clay pigeons and done Mm -hmm. other things like that. And I can see that it's a really fun family activity or they have a good time doing it. Mm -hmm. I think that what comes into, you know, question for me is that, why do people need any automatic weapon? Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a, a reason for anyone to ever have that if you're not in the military. And I think that everyone should be open to education about safe storage mm-hmm. and making sure that children don't have access to this mm-hmm. um, and really adults. I think it's both a pediatric and adult issue, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. But mm-hmm. I think we're moving collectively, hopefully, in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I want to bring up one other thing that they touched upon, which is media violence. And it just reminded me of that. We're recording this in February. And in 1972, in this month, my father-in-law was a guest on a talk show, um, the Mike Douglas Show, Mm -hmm. which was a talk show. And um, John Lennon invited him to be on there. They were co-hosting. I I should also say that his Uh father-in-law was the Surgeon General. He was a Surgeon General in the first Nixon administration, Je- Dr. Jesse Steinfeld. Yeah, yeah. He did a lot of great work. And so one of the things he was really interested in was media violence. And when John and Yoko were co-hosts for the week, they were co-hosts on the stipulation that they could invite their own guests. And they were very interested in media violence. So they interviewed him mm. um, on that. And he said, it's like, this is a, he was one of the first people to really say, you know, as a public health, that this is a public health issue. We need to pay attention to it. 
that the stuff that's in the movies is back then it was movies and TV. You know, that's really important. Yeah. And I think that the data has continued to show Mm -hmm. that in that younger age group, especially, it can have really detrimental effects. Absolutely. So important to keep in mind. Right. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 